Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts. Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. We have a lot to talk about today. Gosh, we got to talk about those inflation numbers, the strong dollar. Chase, so many things to talk about. Oh, yeah. Chase Wilsey here, vice president of Wilsey Asset Management. As always, here to take your calls. You want to join the show, got a question about, you know, a, a particular company, give us that stock symbol. You got a question about the economy, any other financial topics, really, for that matter. That's what we're here to help with. Phone number, if you want to join again, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. But first, we got to cover those topics. And I did want to say, I see you're wearing that Padre polo this morning. Yes. We're not a sports talk show but <laughs> gotta say it gosh go Padres up 2-1 on the Los Angeles Dodgers that is huge big game tonight that'd be awesome to see some San Diego pride come through and Joe Musgrove on the mound so looking forward to that yep that's why I wore the shirt although you don't wear your Padre shirt today oh underneath the jacket no I didn't wear it underneath <laughs> yeah, either so, yeah because I thought yeah I'm gonna wear it today so I, I got it. it was given to us from the Padres so I, I wanted to wear it but uh, let's ju jump into uh, the inflation numbers because that's something that's really uh, got people worried and inflation numbers were released uh, yesterday rising 8.2 percent actually it was on Thursday not yesterday mm -hmm. Thursday it was um, over the past year initially the markets were down about two percent but by the end of the day markets rallied up over two percent now Perhaps inflation is not as bad going forward as we think. One reason for that is the lapping of year over year. Now, September 2021, inflation began increasing 5.4%. October 2021, 6.2%. And then November 2021, up 6.8%. And December 2020, inflation increased by 7%. And what we believe is happening and why we think we see will see inflation slow down is the supply chains well they've improved consumers have pulled back on some of their spending reducing demand and I, I gotta say we're still seeing inflation quite heavily in a lot of things like food prices which i i do think should kind of temper here somewhat but mm -hmm. i know that's been quite detrimental and, and again as we mentioned as we lap that higher inflation numbers from the previous year that percent growth will not be as high i mean as you said december 2021 is up seven percent i mean that, that's quite a large number that's going to be hard to grow another eight eight and a half mm -hmm. percent on seven percent inflation in december so I, I i feel quite optimistic again that that we'll see it come back down but again, it's not going to be two percent. It's always about the slowdown and the growth is what's going to see the deceleration. Deceleration, right? right. Yeah. So it, something to keep an eye on. And and the problem is right now. I mean, you talk about bank earnings. Those came out yesterday, and J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo. I mean, they reported very, very strong numbers, and it almost appears that spooked the market. The market is very interesting right now, and and this is why you always tell people don't try and time this, because right now it's almost like oh the the news is good. But, oh, gosh, it's it's a little too good that the <laughs> Fed's going to continue raising rates. Right. 
And even when it's maybe bad, it's not bad enough, so that's not enough to send the market higher. Or, or sometimes you get bad news, and that's good news because— well, and, and that's exactly what I was going to say. I've been doing this for many years. I remember going through 2008 and so forth, and it's just like bad news is good news mm-hmm. for, for a while. Eventually, it, it does change. Um, but, yeah, it was a shame because uh, the bank earnings came out. They were good. The banks were up. market was up. And then I think they started saying, oh, but wait, this means that they could raise rates more than expected because they had good earnings and so forth. Um, so that kind of destroyed uh, the markets. But, but I do want to kind of back up with inflation because that's the big fear and so forth. Um, what I think is happening now is that we are seeing a deceleration in inflation. I think it reached the peak. Was it June? It was like uh, almost 9%, I think. I believe it was, it was around yeah. then, yeah. Uh, we're now it was, what, 8.2. So it's not like, oh, it's great, but it's, it's pulling down a little bit. I'm now seeing a shift that before that's all they were talking about, now they're saying, oh, but core inflation. It's like the media always wants to find the worst thing to scare people. But what is core inflation? It leaves out energy and food. Well, those are two very important things for people. So if that's not doing bad, maybe don't feel as good. And and food is still going up. I think eggs are up like 35% or some crazy thing like that. But you gotta break these numbers down and really look at what is really going on for your inflation because core inflation, two-fifths of of it is from rents. Now, if you own your home, you don't care. you know, and I, I asked somebody I talked to yesterday, are they raising your rents? He goes, no, they're not raising my rent. So, and I know some people they are, but it's a calculation, it's not true rents, it's a calculation they come up with to come up with these rising rents that comes up with this number. So I'm saying it's kind of almost like a an artificial number on this core inflation. Yeah, I mean, it is not a, I've kind of heard the term, a personal inflation rate. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> you know, where it's like, what is your inflation? How right. How is it impacting you? And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, people are paying more for things and people yeah. notice it. And, and it is so funny, you talk about that core inflation rate. When you kind of look at the personal inflation rate of people, everyday people, that what they're spending their money on, what are the two things they notice the most? What's that? Gas. Oh. And food. Food, yeah. But you're not going <laughs> to include that in corn flavor. <laughs> yeah, like, but you ask the average person, it's like, gosh, gas prices. And I go to the grocery store. I mean, that's what's really hitting home. It's not your core inflation rate. Right. I, I mean, that, that it is kind of ludicrous when you break it down that way. And I think a lot of it stems from that consumer confidence. And, and if we can get energy prices and food prices back in line, I think the consumer is going to feel much, much better. And we've talked about this a lot as well as as we head into that holiday season. I mean, we talked about Nike a few weeks ago. Gosh, Nike had that glut of inventory. We know that Target has had issues with this. Walmart has had issues with this. This is going to be positive for Christmas shopping for a lot of people because retailers are trying to get rid of a lot of inventory. Now, you might have to make some sacrifices and and maybe you don't get, let's say, hoodies or something for presents. Maybe you get some (laughs) summer gear, but you can find some good deals out there. These retailers are trying to clear that inventory. Yeah, and and it's just that we want to say that, yes, and you said it, um, there is inflation out there. But my thing is too, is like, okay, eggs are up 35%. Eh, I won't buy eggs for a while. I mean, I don't have to have eggs. I love eggs. You know, I, I buy these things from Costco. I think they're egg bites or something. I love those, but I don't have to have them. So, you know, again, you can make your own personal inflation and say, no, I don't need that. And I've, and I've told people too, the difference in inflation between a 21 year old in college versus a 70 year old on social security, completely different inflation yeah. numbers because you're, 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 purchases are far different so 
Yeah, and again, reemphasize it one more time. We're not saying that inflation is not a problem because it <laughs> has been a problem, yes. but it's not as bad as the media is making it out to be, in our opinion. And I, I think you will see this subside as we exit the year. And, and there are a lot of positives out there that that you need to look at to incorporate that into what is going to happen in the future. What's happened in the past, happened in the past. Yeah. How do we proceed from here? Yeah, and people, and I'll, I'll talk more about this in my segment tomorrow on KSI about understanding the value and how things can be affected by uh, the, the news that comes out. You have to understand that. And, and again, people thought, oh, the banks are going to do terrible and so forth. Oh, surprise. You know, they, they did better. They didn't do as bad. As bad. And we did talk about this, that the banks do better when interest rates rise. What happened? Oh, they did better because interest rate rose. Yeah. So let's talk about the strong dollar because earnings will be coming out uh, over the next few weeks here. Again, we, they started uh, yesterday. And the strong dollar, which is up about 17% against weighted index, could play havoc on some companies with big earnings coming out from overseas. And I, I was surprised to see that uh, you know San Diego company, or Qualcomm, gets 96% of its revenue from outside the U.S., uh, that's because they, they make the chips, they design the chips, and they kind of outsource a lot of the mm-hmm. manufacturing overseas. Uh, and then they sell to the, um, you know, different companies from around the world. So it, it is an interesting kind of dynamic, but something that could cost them. And then other companies that you need to watch out for would be Caterpillar, surprised by this, 62% of revenue from the outside of the U.S. And even Meta and Netflix both receive 59% of revenue from outside the U.S. That shocks me with Meta. I would not have anticipated that. And another surprise was Citigroup with 52% of revenue from outside the U.S. I, I didn't see if they reported yesterday. I, I, I noticed um, you know, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan. I noticed First Republic Bank. I noticed them because I actually banked there. I saw they were down like 16%. I don't know if they the, had issues. They're a regional bank, aren't they? I believe they're a regional bank. Yeah, yeah. so I'm wondering if the big banks have a better advantage over a regional bank. Does that, Do they do mortgages, uh, First Republic? I believe they do mortgages and they, they do real estate and that might that might be an issue. Right, um, and, it, and it could be because I you know I I'm seeing I, I watch the real estate market, um, the higher end you know well real estate in general is really cooling off a lot. We saw the mortgage rate hit what six point nine two percent I think on Friday I think it was, um, so that's huge that you're you're now bumping up to seven percent. That's that's slowing down purchases dramatically. And that's. That rate can be, I think, quite deceiving as well. I mean, if you're an average person going to get a loan, I, I think you're paying in the sevens now. And I mean, gosh, the ten, the ten year Treasury crossed four percent for the first time since two thousand eight. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. We're seeing those higher rates. Yeah, and and, and that's going to continue a little bit longer. I think. I think we will have our interest rate rise again when they meet. Uh, the Federal Reserve meets again. So we will see a definite 7% mortgage rate and people just like, eh, I don't need to buy, not gonna buy. And that's gonna be, we always talk about the biggest thing that we always talk about, supply demand. And if you can't have that demand because you can't afford the mortgage and the supply will increase because then people say, oh my gosh, my house is falling in price, I better sell now. Uh, the supply will increase, demand will fall and prices will drop. Yeah. So, and that could, whole point being, could hurt banks that uh, do a lot on, on real estate side. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, kind of back to Citigroup, it is interesting. I mean, they've been one that has just had the lowest valuations and the outside the U.S. revenue as something that's kept us out of Citigroup for years. It's it's just yeah. something that we haven't been comfortable with. I know they had some issues with some overseas lending as well, and it's, you know, I, I, I'd like 
to buy it. I, I, they do the Costco card, and they have my other favorite double cash credit card. Yeah. But I, there are some potential pitfalls with it. And uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe it, it could be a great opportunity right now if they can resolve a lot of those overseas issues. Uh, and, and they they honestly could be the big winner right. in banks over the next five years because their valuations. I, I think I believe they still trade under book value. And and, and, and yeah, because we looked at Citigroup, we kind of the numbers look good on it, but just didn't feel comfortable with it. And one thing that's going to happen as well is that the dollar's not going to stay strong forever. Exactly. Eventually something's going to change and then the opposite will happen. So then it may make sense to buy a Citigroup or, or a Qualcomm. Uh, you want to really read those reports when they come out, uh, we'll say in the next few weeks on these companies, to see what they're saying about their personal situation on the, the, the dollar strength. But I, I was reading through this past week that they don't expect the dollar to, to drop anytime soon because we, we do have a good economy quote unquote, compared to, I'll say the rest of the world, rising interest rates, so that will keep the dollar strong. But uh, maybe in a year or so, it could reverse around. That may be the time to jump into a Qualcomm or jump into a Citigroup or something of that nature. And I kind of hope that somebody calls on some of these companies so we can kind of look at them in more detail. But um, yeah, and these are things people I probably don't think about. You don't think, oh, well, it's gonna be great because of the chips and so forth. But you gotta understand that with a strong dollar, your profits will be lower. So. And I, I am seeing here with Citigroup, it, it looks like they were, they were pretty much flat yesterday, and they, they did report. They did report. Um, okay. they, they did actually beat on earnings, and uh, looks like they beat on sales as well. So, um, you know, another bank that, that, that did quite well. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it doesn't look, look like they beat by as much as, like, Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan, but, you know, still a positive for, for Citigroup. And, you know, I, I think... Well, I sit here and say, you know, it's something that's kept us out of the overseas revenue. It is something that I would say could be an opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely think Citigroup's worth a worth a further look um, based especially on those valuations. Okay. Uh, let me get the phone numbers out again because we'll be uh, opening the lines pretty soon here. 833-288-0973. That's 833 0973 and you got a company or investment in equity that you want to talk about uh, give us a call we'll give you that unbiased no strings attached fundamental opinion on uh, what you want to talk about uh we haven't talked about crypto in a while so let's kind of bring up crypto with the decline in the crypto market uh, investors are becoming less comfortable with this space according to a recent bank rate survey in 2021 nearly 35 percent of americans said they had some level of comfort investing in digital currencies compared to about 21% in 2022. And millennials saw an even larger fall with 49% in 2021 saying they had some comfort level investing in digital currencies, and that fell to almost 29% in 2022. That's a huge decline. My guess of why this is the case is digital currencies have yet to show a meaningful use. It has not proven to be a viable currency for transactions. It has not proven to be an inflation hedge nor has it proven to be a hedge against declining stock prices. I still just don't see the allure, the allure of investing in this space. What's the utility of it? Oh, digital gold, what does that mean? I, oh. And I haven't even heard really much about it lately either. Yeah, uh, about, about crypto, you mean? Yeah, or? about what 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 is the excitement? What What is it solving and you know, I just, you still hear a little bit about it. Uh, they'll, they'll still kind of quote it on, on Fox Business, the price. And it seems to go from, I'll say, eighteen to maybe twenty, twenty-one thousand. But the big excitement was before it was going to 20,000, 25,000, 30,000, 60,000. Like, oh, this is great. It's going to go to 100,000. 
Well, that's now gone. So that was a big thing it had is that you can make money off it because it just went up for no reason. Well, now, and I think it's been well over six months, it's been in this range of 18 to we'll call it $21,000. And you're right, there's no utility. There's nothing, it's not an inflation hedge, which by the way, gold has been a terrible inflation yeah. hedge as well. So that didn't work for it. So, um, and again, we have said before, there will be digital currencies, but I just don't think it's gonna be these private currencies as much as people want them because I've talked about this before, the world does not want to have a global currency. They want to control, countries want to control their own currency so they can control their economy. Can you imagine what we would go through now or 2008 if we can control our currency? We couldn't raise rates because we didn't control our currency? It'd be a terrible situation. Or do you really think China <laughs> wants a global currency unless it's their own? Better. I I I don't think so. Yeah, no, no, no country unless they're a weaker country. I forget who it was that tried it. Um, oh, it was not Venezuela. I think it was El Salvador. El Sal I think it was El Salvador because they're a weaker country. But your stronger countries, your your big countries, China, uh, Japan, uh, U.S., England, Europe, they're not going to want a, a global currency. They want to control their own currencies, and that's why this whole thing. Oh, you don't get it. It's going to be the world. And it's not because the world will not let that happen. Yeah, and I, I just. Again, gotta say I I don't get the space. People that say they get the space don't. Clearly, forty nine percent thought they understood it for millennials, and now it's only twenty nine percent. So I think people realize like I don't really understand actually what it is, and I do wonder. I mean, we talked about this probably a couple of years ago, but how Bitcoin in particular, a lot of people lost access to their digital wallets. There's yeah. I, gosh, I want to say the number is almost as high as like 20% of all Bitcoin was like a lost. I think you're So that number. means that Bitcoin can never be traded. Right. Unless somehow it gets found, which I don't know how it would get found. So that means that's supply that has been taken off the market that almost kind of keeps the price a little more artificially elevated because it reduces the amount of potential currency that can get traded onto the market. Yep. And then you have your people that are Bitcoin forever holders, you know, those they call them the diamond hands. They're mm -hmm. not going to sell it. So I'm, I'm very curious what the trading volume on, on Bitcoin and other cryptos looks like now. If it's almost like kind of artificial where because you have such a small subset of the population, it's like, nope, I'm not selling that there's not much activity, that there's kind of a floor that's being created. But all of a sudden what could happen is now there's that let's I'm just using numbers here. 80% of people are like, well, I'm never selling my Bitcoin if it goes below 15000 Well, now that only means there's only 20% of the market, let's say, that's trading. And it's going to be based off yeah. those 20%. And those people might be saying, I'm done with this. I thought this was going to go from eighteen to 30000 That's the only reason I bought it. They start selling out. It causes this this chaos in the market. And you could see it fall from 18000 to 10000 very yeah. quickly. And, and also, too, people, cause, you know, their, their investment starts going down. Uh, they don't have the money coming in. Oh, I need a new car. Oh, that Bitcoin's not doing anything. I'll I'll just sell it now and, and, and get out of it. And you know, so so that will happen. Time will will wear that down. Uh, all right, phone numbers eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Chase, we've not gotten an email request in a long time. I guess because we we don't announce it. But if you don't want to come on air and you want to ask us a question, you can do it by email. Just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. 
smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And just send myself or Chase an email with your questions. So we've got one here. That's why I brought this up. Uh, says, hello, Brent. Uh, long time listener to your radio show. Really enjoy listening to the two of you. I am not one to call into the show, but if you have some time tomorrow, I'd love to hear your thoughts on WPC. It seems to be a good, uh, seems to be good to be true. Let's see. It seems to, oh, it seems too good to be true with a 6% dividend. Uh, I know uh, a state, I think it means real estate is going to get worse, but uh, would like to hear your thoughts on the stocks. And that's a uh, day from Tennessee. So let's take a look at uh, WPC and it's a, uh, obviously a REIT, a real estate investment trust. Uh, their symbol is WPC. The company is WP carry is who it is. Now looking at this company, we see, uh, there is a little bit of float on it on the short side, 4.1%, but that's not a worry. Uh, 64% institutional owned. They do have a high PE ratio and I think you're going to cover the, uh, FFO, but we'll just talk about the PE ratio 24.9 versus 10.3 price of sales. Also high 9.4 versus 6.6. .6 price to book value four versus 1.4 and price to cash flow 13.4 versus 12.5. So the valuation ratios are very high uh, on this company compared to the industry. So that makes me a little uncomfortable. I do not see a peg ratio on this, which is your price earnings divided by growth. Uh, it is 28 for the industry, nothing for uh, WP carry. Now their earnings have grown by 11.3% over the past year. That's better than the industry growth at 10.2. Sales climbed by 10.2%, not as good as the industry at 16.1%. Now, uh, I don't see a five-year earnings per share growth estimate from the analysts. I'm wondering if there's any analysts that follow this, which could be a, a, a problem here. Uh, I do see the 6.2% dividend yield that is higher than the industry at 5%. They use 152% of their payout ratio to do that, which is more than the industry at 1009 So there could be a problem with that dividend. Uh, look at the balance sheet. Oh, this is terrible. Current ratio 0.2 versus 7.0. That that shows me this company could have a liquidity problem very soon because you want one, you want the one compared to that because you want your assets and liabilities at least be equal. This means that just a ballpark figure here, your your current assets are about 80% less than your current liabilities. If that's a a quick form that I came up with that I think makes sense. It's not a good seeing that point ratio or point two uh, ratio for the current ratio. Debt to equity, 0.9, not too bad. That compares the industry of 0.7. We do see a net profit margin, 37.5. Uh, the industry is at 67.2, which sounds extremely high. And return on equity is uh, 6.8 uh, versus 8.6. And return on cap capital is about 4.9. So I'm not feeling good with this. I don't know if you have anything to change at Chase, but uh, you got some, your, your eyebrows are kind of wrinkled there. See, now that you got married on Saturday, you're going to get, you know, all these worries. Yeah, and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah it, it is something that that's interesting. Uh, kind of looking at it, I was just thinking about the current ratio. I mean, it, it's hard to kind of explain that away. I, I have seen in the past, we have one read in particular where the current ratio, the way they accounted for assets on the balance sheet was a little bit strange. So I'm not saying it's an end-all be-all for it, but it is very unlikely that I would feel comfortable with the current ratio is I guess yeah. something and, I would say. And again, we always talk about these numbers and, and, and that's why we do this in like about a three minute time frame. We're trying to point people in the right direction. I mean, if we're gonna look at this company, it would take 10, 15, 20 hours to really understand that. So that's what we're saying. There's a problem there. 
you probably won't go check that because it may not be a problem, but we're saying it could be a problem. Yeah, and, and especially with the dividend yield, 6% sounds great, but I, I know there's some actually other REITs out there as well that are paying higher yields. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't be too excited about the yield. I mean, I, I think with the decline in stock prices, you could find some very, very nice yields at mm-hmm. the current time. But I, I did look at what they did as well, and uh, they do actually have most of the revenue come from the United States, and it comes from single-tenant office industrial warehouse and retail facilities located around the world and i said predominantly here in the u.s it appears most of that's the the revenue where it comes from i would be <coughs> excuse me i almost choked on my own spit there that would have been bad <laughs> um but you look at the the single tenant office space i i, I would always want to know who is leasing the space because sometimes right. you could have like yeah single tenant but it could be like target is you know 40% of revenue. So you want yeah. to make sure that there there's not a single tenant that occupies a large amount because they could be like, you know, we're going to change our real estate strategy and actually buy our own real estate rather than lease it from you. So it's something to keep a close eye on. But looking at the current price for WP Kerrigan, ticker symbol WPC, it's $68.46. 52-week high is $89.63. And the 52-week low, well, it's $67.00. And 76 cents. If we go out to December 2023, I know you're a little worried about the analysts. There are nine analysts that provide an FFO estimate again, funds from operation. That is $5.21. Gives us a target sell price of $86.49, about 26% away from the current price. So that would be placed in our hold category. I, I think there are other REITs out there that, that I'm more excited about than this one. Right. I guess the best way I'd phrase it. And you mentioned they, they do offices and retail, which right now are two that are having some difficulties. And also, too, I don't know if you mentioned, but uh, where are they, they based? I mean, regional. It could be in a great region. could be in a bad region. Yeah. So when you want to kind of look at that, you want to say, well, where are they? Because you don't want them all focused in the bad bad uh, areas, which you don't want. And I, uh, I will say, though, I, I would want to understand the breakdown because, I mean, they also have industrial and warehouse. Right. Which, which I think are quite positive spaces yes. right now. Yeah, yeah, because warehouses, I, I believe, are really packed. Yeah. Uh, which is a good thing for the warehouses, but it's because the retailers can't get rid of the stuff. And, and that's what I'm saying. There's going to be some great sales because retailers want to clear out that inventory to get ready for the Christmas inventory and then the spring inventory. They, they, they got to keep that inventory moving. So I think they, they'll get that rid of it. And it will also show up in discount stores a lot, mm-hmm. like the dollar stores, because if the retailers can't get rid of it, they'll just sell it to them for like pennies on the dollar. That's how the, the dollar stores make their money is by getting cheap uh, inventory. So, but um, yeah, so, so uh, and, and again, I think you bring the point up too, is that, you know, there are other higher yielding REITs out there. Uh, keep in mind that REITs are interest rate sensitive. So as rates go up, many times REITs go down. And again, you have to understand, does that really affect their borrowing costs? Because if they're not borrowing, they're in that group that, yeah, their stock will go down, but in reality, they're not hurt by it. But if they have like like a lot of short-term you know, uh, capital or, or they need a lot of short-term loans, they've got to refinance those at a higher price. If they're trying to do deals, that they're leverage those deals, it's going to hurt them. So again, it comes back to really understand them. We have two REITs in our portfolio, uh, both, uh, well, one's a hold, one is a buy that has just been beaten up tremendously, which we love. Um, but it's just, uh, you got to understand the REIT as, as everything else there. Yep. So, all right, phone numbers. Wow. Uh, no calls came in. Okay, uh, 833-288. 0973. That's 833-288-0973. And if you call right now, you'll get right on through 
because there's nobody there holding. Well, let's talk about our cars because the problems are starting already with the forced uh, demand of electric vehicles. Lithium, which is used to make the batteries have tripled in price this year, and there's no end in sight for supply meeting demand. Lithium is not used just for electric vehicles, but also for grid energy storage. And you may be thinking, no problem, just produce more lithium, which is nice in theory, but not reality. To bring new production online, studies must be done, permitting capital must be raised before any lithium is produced, which can take three to five years. And I hate to say it, but it's always a disaster when the government forces demand on any type of product. What it does is increase prices that the consumer ends up paying for, and it <laughs> It's funny that the government increases demand for the product, but doesn't increase the capability for supply as the regulations are so <laughs> stringent. So they don't really have a positive correlation there with supply and demand. Right, right. And, and, and that's why you have to let market forces do their thing, because when you try to force things, you, you put the markets out of balance. And, uh, I, and I think this could be a major problem down the road because I've seen lithium prices, they said could, could go up 10 times. Well, that's going to put the cost of your EVs extremely high, which means like, well, who can now afford them? Uh, is the government thing going to say, oh, well, well, now we'll raise our credits for it? Well, that's not right because you've got a debt situation on your side. So let the market, market forces take over. And, and, and we've talked, too, about um, how, how it's not going to be the fix-all for the for the the world. I mean, you've got China just pumping out tons of, of pollution, India and so forth. So here we're in the U.S. Oh, we got to go green, got to go green. We're not going to change. I, I think the number is like 0.0001%. We would change the world if everybody went, you know, EVs here. And there's other things that, you know, uh, produce uh, uh, air pollution as well. Well, the issue as well is you talk about, <laughs> it's funny how everything works together, but how lithium is used in energy storage is we need energy to do the electric vehicle so it's not just the ev car that would go up in price now you're costing more to get the energy storage as well yeah it, there's a lot of potential cost because people right now love evs no oh, i'm not paying anything for gas which is great when gas prices are high well what happens if now all of a sudden ev cars go up in price because you, you can't produce them so now you wipe out those savings your break even let's say on not spending on gas goes from a couple years to now 10 years. Well, is that really worth it? And, and these are just numbers. I haven't done a calculation on right. a break-even, but just kind of trying to illustrate a point of it. If the, the cost of those cars go up, your break-even is going to be much further out. If all of a sudden people are consuming more electricity, the cost of electricity is going to go up. That's going to hurt your break-even point. There could be some very serious potential pitfalls with EVs if we rush into them. Yeah, yeah. So you you got to be careful of that, and and this oh by two thousand what is it thirty five, you know you can't sell any more uh, gas powered cars in California. I don't think that's going to play out. I think it's going to be reversed. I think it's just a thing that the governor did. Oh, I'm going to do this and so forth. By the time it rolls around, I don't think it's going to happen. All right, well let's go to the phones. Let's go up to uh, Oceanside and speak with Joe. Joe, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? How you doing, guys? Good. How you doing? I uh, yeah, couldn't leave you without a phone call there, you know. So. Oh, I appreciate that. Now, now we got like five or six. I know. Sometimes they just come. <laughs> oh, late. great, great, great. Hey, you know, yeah, obviously, yeah, my thing was PRU, but um, you know, because I was gonna, you know, I have some Twitter and I was gonna sell that and like buy what PRU when it was down lower, but I was thinking like, you know, because you know, it looks like that sale's gonna go through, so probably everybody will get the fifty-four twenty. I'm guessing. Um, 
What do you think on that? So, so you're looking at, uh, so you sold Twitter already. So you're thinking about buying Prudential? No, I, no, I still own it. Okay, but you you want, but you're thinking about buying Prudential. Or he's yeah, looking at should Twitter he sell Twitter now or wait till fifty four twenty? Oh, wait, you both talk to me. Yeah, because I figured he's gonna have to do that deal. I'm yeah. guessing that's right that right now. So. Right. Yeah. He 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 seems to be locked into that deal. Yeah. So he's asking should he sell Twitter now and buy Prudential or wait until the fifty four twenty? Is that that the correct well, question? Yeah, I would rather buy Prudential and it's down like eighty eight, eighty nine. Um, you know, and I had that chance, but I, you know, it's. Yeah, that's the question. And, and what did Twitter close at on uh, Friday? Fifty forty-five. Yeah, so so you're short about we'll call it maybe about nine percent or so. Um, you know, things can change on that. If you get a profit on Twitter, I would probably take it because to wait for that extra nine percent, I mean, who knows what's going to come up on that? I, I I would not count out Elon Musk yet, and he could also say, you know what, screw this. I got a billion dollars. Here's your billion dollars. I'm walking away. That would, I think, cause the price of Twitter to fall dramatically. Yeah. Now, I think it is It's a dangerous game. I mean, a lot of times we look for arbitrage opportunities where the deal price is higher than the current price, which is still the case with Twitter. But I always like to find a company that I wouldn't mind holding if right. the deal fell through. And, and I tell you right now, I would not want to hold Twitter if the, the deal fell through. I think Twitter is not worth fifty four twenty. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but Prudential went up pretty good, uh, you know, the last couple of days, and so it's you know it's not really as attractive anymore. I, I'm kind of yeah, I'm kind of curious on Prudential if you should even be buying it. So I I, I do want to go with the numbers with you here as well, but um, uh, because it is a, a space that I think would do well. But let me take a look at it because I'm kind of talking here. I want to see some numbers myself here. So the company is Prudential. They're in the life insurance industry. Uh, only 2.3 percent float. Uh, Institutional ownership 60 percent. Uh, I'm surprised here. You're paying 17.2 for an insurance company. Uh, well above the industry at 8.3. Price of sales, 0.6 is good. Price to book value, 1.3 versus 4.1. That's a big positive. And then price of cash flow, 3.5. That's above the industry at 2. So not thrilled on that. Now, their earnings are down year over year, 70%. Industry down 51.6. Their sales down 8.8. Industry down 15.9. I know insurance companies had a hard time. We talked about this probably six months ago. They had a hard time because of lower rates. They couldn't really be profitable. Now rates are turning around, so that could be a big benefit to a Prudential. They do pay a very nice dividend, 5.1%. Use 84% of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, their debt to equity, 0.7 versus 0.5. Net profit margin Prudential is low, 3.3 versus 8.2. I'd probably wanna know why that is. And the return on equity is low, it's 7.4 versus 10.4. So I'm really kind of curious what you see going forward on the earnings here, Chase. Yeah, so current price for the company, again, Prudential, PRU, $94.67, 52 week high, $124.22. 52-week low, well, $85.46. Year-to-date is down about 9.5%, which is, well, better than half the industry, excuse me, not the industry, the uh, S&P, which is down 24%. So it's held up better uh, than many other stocks in this environment. Uh, but going forward for the company, I go out to December 2023, I mean, it looks very strong. Estimated earnings per share, $11.63. Would give us a target sell price of $193.06. So it has a forward PE multiple around 8 so, I mean, it's a very good value at this point. I will say it is interesting to see the year-over-year growth for December 2022, so the end of this year, is earnings are looking to fall about 35%. What I think is happening 
is a large part of it at least is the bonds on the balance sheet while you're right. right now that the rates are going up it'll help with the income on their portfolio they're having to write down the value mm-hmm. of those bonds which could be hitting the earnings but I, i'm you know we're so funny we've talked for years about how gosh bonds are terrible stay away from bonds i'm not quite there yet but we talked about the 10-year note being around four percent i personally don't believe the 10-year note is going to go to eight percent or anything right. crazy like that so I, I think you could start to see insurance companies not have to worry about bonds. They might be in a kind of Goldilocks type situation where now they can actually pick up yield on bonds and they don't have to worry as much about rising interest rates impacting the bond portfolio. And, and Joan, I think it has to do with what they do because if they do a lot of annuity sales, people start cashing those annuities because gosh, I'm gonna have 2% yield, I can go over here, get a 4% yield. They're gonna start cashing those annuities costing the insurance company to actually sell those bonds at a low price. Uh, I do see like 90 days ago, they were looking for earnings at $12.64, so that could be happening with them. But I, I think Prudential is more on the uh, life insurance side. And, and insurance companies are generally good long-term holds. Uh, short-term, it may go to, go lower, but I've held an insurance company portfolio now for I think like 14, maybe 15 years. It's done extremely well for us, but you have these periods that go through so short term, I'd probably say no. Uh, Long term, th- you may be watching this company as a good buy. Yeah. Already? Oh, it's definitely a long, it's definitely a longer term play. But um, thanks a lot, guys. It's always uh, great to talk to you again. You too, Joe. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye bye. All right, that does open the phone line eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Again, that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Uh, Anthony and San Diego, hold on. We're going to go to you right after we talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, good, good. Uh, we got some big news today you want to talk about on Social Security and Medicare. Good news, big news. <laughs> <laughs> so with all the bad news in the media, we've got war and gas prices, inflation, recession, all these things. It's nice to get some good news sometimes. Yes. So two things. <laughs> um, First of all, Social Security is going to get one of the largest increases in that it's got in 40 years. It's going to get an 8.7% cost of living adjustment starting in 2023. They just announced that this week. Um, last year, it got a 5.9% increase. was still not bad. And the year before that was 1.3 and then 1.6 before that. So we've had quite a few years of really small increases. So it's nice to get a big jump. Uh, now, this is a result of higher inflation so the other side of that is inflation must be pretty bad for us to get an increase like this but it is what it is um so if you have a monthly benefit amount of 2500 bucks a month this 8.7 percent increase would be about 218 dollars a month so that bring you up to um 2718 dollars total so um excited about that on the social security side and then secondly the second thing is um medicare part b premiums are going to be decreasing for the first time in over a decade so with medicare you have part a and b that's called original medicare and everyone has that from there you pick up an advantage plan otherwise called part c or you get a supplement plan which is called medigap but everyone has the a and b Um, Part A has no premium, but Part B does have a premium, and that gets deducted directly from your Social Security check. So this year in 2022, the premium for Part B starts at $170.10, and next year, starting in 2023, it's going down to $164.90. 
So it's not that much of a decrease, but just the fact that it's decreasing, you know, is, is nice to see. So this, the, the Medicare premiums are not based on inflation, obviously, because they're going down. Um, what happened was the decrease came because Medicare overestimated their Part B services last year, which led to a larger reserve, and now they're passing some of that back, which should make sense because last year it went from 148 up to 170, which was the largest increase in history. So this is nice that um, now we're going to see a little bit of reduction on that Part B premium. So overall, starting in 2023, our net Social Security checks are going to look a little bit larger with increased benefits and decreased uh, premium payments being deducted from that. Yes, yeah, so, and that's all good news. There is bad news with the good news, though, because now that they're going to be spending out more, the eight point, what do you say, six percent increase? Is that what the increase was? Uh, eight point seven. Eight point seven. Yeah. Uh, what that's going to do is get us to that date where Social Security will not be. It's not going to be eliminated, but the date where it's going to be cut to where now you you and I think I've said it's going to be cut about twenty eight percent. So if you're getting a thousand dollars, and I think there's like now two thousand. 34, I think it is, this could get us closer to that date because now those estimates of how long it would last were based on past payments will now being increasing by 8.6%. Well, now you're going to get to that that deadline quicker with actually cut Social Security by about 22%, I believe, is the estimate. Yeah, that's that's true. It's 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 constantly changing depending on how um, payroll contributions are, are going into it versus what the benefit amounts are going out. But it's in the 20 the early 2030s that it's expected to happen. So between now and then, something needs to happen, a combination of tax changes or um, benefit changes, because if that doesn't happen, then you're right. We will be, the, the trust fund, so to speak, will be <clears throat> eliminated or it will run out. So the only amount left to pay out benefits are what people are currently paying into it through payroll contributions. And right now, yeah, it's about 80% of what benefits are. Now, I think before that happens, hopefully, you know, Congress decides to do something, but, you know, it's politically unpopular to talk about changing Social Security in any capacity. So, um, yeah, we get an increase for now, but it, uh, it makes the overall problem a little bit a little bit larger, and that is something that needs to be dealt with. It was funny as well as I, I know the White House was celebrating the increase in payments and the decrease in Medicare. Uh, they took some flack for that because who gets hurt the most by inflation is retirees yep. because even though Social Security is going up, many times they're on a fixed income with a pension or even if you're living off your assets, most of the time you're not going to give yourself a pay raise if your investments are going down in a period right. like this. So inflation really hits retirees quite hard because they're not benefiting from wage inflation whatsoever any longer, which, you know, that's going to help offsetting some of the inflation for the working class. But, you know, just it is something to kind of keep an eye on. And I think a lot of retirees will be okay. You, just, you can't panic in times like this and right. you'll get through it. But you know, you could really cost yourself your retirement if you do the wrong things in this situation. Yeah, no, you know, I've said for many, many years, Social Security was never meant to be your sole retirement uh, fund. Uh, it's a supplement to, mm -hmm. to help you out, but it, there's a lot of people that it really makes a big difference on can they make it to the end of the month for rent and food and everything else. So, uh, but yeah, to celebrate that, no, all you're trying to do is keep pace with inflation. It's not like, oh, you're getting a big raise. No, you're keeping pace with inflation. So, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll stay with the good news that we're, we're glad to help people out. Well, not <laughs> us, but then we're glad that they can raise uh, to keep pace with inflation. But, uh, well, Harrison, thank you very much, and uh, you have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday.
All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, that's our financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. If you want to talk to him, he is uh, on a salary. He does not charge commissions. He's a fee-based financial planner. Uh, you can give him a call at the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website. You can send him an email, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting 2000 Com. All right, let's go back to our calls here. 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Anthony. Anthony, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, thanks for being there. So semiconductor stock prices just continue to drop. I uh, just wanted to know what is your guys take on what's going on with that sector the stock prices look good specifically amd do you think it's a good time to start looking at that sector and uh accumulating some of those stocks uh in in summary yes and and i know it seems like just six months ago like oh my gosh you know everything was on fire with chips and so forth and and we knew that the demand would be there now it's fallen off the the cliff here so this is a time you want to be investing in good businesses that will do well long term and I think we're now having a fire sale. Will the fire sale get more? You don't know, but you will look at to see is it a good price here. So we'll, we'll take a look at the numbers here in a minute. And I always say that the, a lot of the negativity revolves around PC demand. Oh, PC demand yeah. is falling. And, and one thing that we were talking about kind of before all this chaos in the chip market was how chips are being used in more and more things. Mm-hmm. So while, yes, PCs are slowing down, we'll go through another wave where PC demand will pick back up. But the other thing is I think a lot of these companies are going to be able to diversify their in-consumer in somewhat and kind of not be as reliant on the PC market. Now, that's my estimation. There might be some chip makers that are able to diversify much better. But I think overall, the amount of chips being used across the world in a bunch of different products, I, I think, is going to be beneficial for the the chip making industry. And I don't have the numbers with me, but they I, I remember reading something that they said that the average PC is still rather old. It's not like, you know, oh, because of the, the upgrade during COVID, the average PC I think is still, I wanna say like three to four years old, which is quite quite uh, old for technology. I know, I, I still have my, it's a MacBook, but I, mine's right. from like 2015. Right. And it's still running well, so yeah, <laughs> I haven't yeah. gotten rid of it. And but. the Macs will last a little bit longer than your regular PCs, yeah. but I, I think the PCs, generally you want to replace those every two to four years maybe. So, But uh, let's look at the numbers on AMD, because I think this could be one that could benefit going down the road here. Uh, their symbol is uh, AMD, which stands for Advanced Micro Devices. Only 1.9% float on the short side, 68% institutional owned. Uh, PE ratio is rather high. It's 23.8, well above the industry at 13.9. So I'm disappointed with that. Uh, price of sales, 3.6 versus 3.4. Price to book value, 20.9 versus the industry, well over 500, so that's a positive there. Uh, price of cash flow, 20.8 versus 9.7, and the peg ratio, very good, 0.7 versus 4. Now, we do see the earnings for AMD were down 27.7%. The industry was up 43.3, so there could be either some write-offs going on there or some problems with AMD you want to know about before you invest in the company. 
However, sales did climb by 45% uh, for the past year. The industry is only up 9.8. That's a big positive there. Five-year estimated growth on the earnings look very good, 25.5 for AMD versus 14 for the industry. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. We do see on the balance sheet, current ratio 2.4 versus 2.7. That's good. Wow, debt to equity for AMD, only 0.1 versus 0.6. So almost no debt on the balance sheet at all. The net profit margin, 14.5 versus 20, 25%. I'm almost kind of thinking they had some write-offs with that decline in earnings and the low profit margin. But again, do the research to, to verify that. We also do see that uh, they have a, a return on equity of 5.7 versus 27.7. Return on investment capital, 5.5 versus 20.8. So there is something around there. You got to check that before you invest in the company. Chase, what does it look like going forward? Yeah, current price here for AMD, $55.94. Wow, 52-week high, $164.46. 52-week low, $54.57. Year-to-date, the stock is down 61.1%. But go forward for the business, go out to December 2023. I see estimated earnings per share of $4.09. At what gives a target sell price of $67.89? which is unfortunately just a gain, uh, gosh, I think around 20-ish percent, somewhere mm -hmm. close to that range. We like, again, a 30% margin of safety. Um, so it wouldn't be in the buy category just yet for us. I will say their growth does look pretty good on the earnings per share, uh, which gives me a little more optimism in it. But again, we stick to that 30% margin of safety. The other thing I will say about AMD is I believe they purchased that company, Xilinx, I think was the name of it. Yeah, oh yeah. I believe they drastically overpaid for that company. Could be something that comes back with a, a write-off. And yeah. I don't know if maybe that's why their earnings took a hit here lately, but that's something that I would want to understand a little more detail is some potential pitfalls with that. Yeah, you get the goodwill write-offs, and it could be a, a big numbers that will hurt them. I, I do see the earnings have fallen over the last nine days from like 493, so they, they are falling. But I like the idea here, uh, Anthony, because I think it's a good good industry to look at. I just don't know if AMD is a, a chip company I want to invest in right now. Yeah, and I think AMD and NVIDIA in particular, they ran too far, too fast. Yeah. They became way, way too expensive. I think part of it is, I'm going to say somewhat justified. They, they were having very strong businesses, but I think they just got too expensive. They're coming back down to reality. I think you could see some growth in the stock price because of the industry doing well. But I don't think you're going to see the big boom that you saw with those two companies. And it could be like the tech boom and bust where it takes a long time to, to get back to where you were at. I, I think there are other great opportunities. I mean, I, I think uh, LAM Research, the uh, applied materials, I think those are interesting ones to keep an eye on as well. Um, I, but this one's still just not quite where I want it to be. Yep, yep. So I'd uh, say keep searching there, uh, Anthony. Alrighty. Anthony, did we lose him? I guess we lost him. All right, well, I'm sure he's still listening. All right, uh, I, and I, I know we had, I think it was Robert, uh, I wanted to talk about Tesla, but I think, is he gone there? I don't see, okay, so, so he left. And I, I, I wanted to talk about that because, I mean, Tesla has dropped dramatically. And uh, actually, I think the EV market's having problems. Mm -hmm. um, I saw was Rivian had problems. Um, but the other thing too is that I think with Tesla, it's starting to come away. What if he does have to take on Twitter? How is he gonna manage Twitter, Tesla, uh, the boring company? Uh, SpaceX. SpaceX, I mean, he's a, he's a Superman, we'll call him that. 
but he, you know, there's only <laughs> so many limits that he can do. Will Tesla be the one that, that gets hurt the most? Because uh, I have seen the stock drop dramatically. Got your close on Friday, what, 204.99. And I will say, I mean, I, I think he does push that 24 hours to be very, very efficient. I, I think the guy's a genius. I mean, I've never had a problem with how smart he was. I just right. always have had an issue with Tesla's valuations. But the thing is, there's still only 24 hours. Even if he could work 24 hours right. in a day, we know that's not possible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that that's a tall order. That, that's four companies now. Yeah. And, yeah. and not to mention, he wants to fix Twitter. You're not now just running Twitter. You're right. fixing Twitter, which is going to take a lot of time. Right, right. And, and actually, I saw a YouTube video on him probably like two months ago. I watched it about his schedule. He he is very organized. He is very like a machine. Um, but you're right. There's only 24 hours in a day. And you bring on this another thing to do. Something has to give. Will it be Tesla? Will it be SpaceX? What will it be? Will he not put as much into Twitter, which that will then fall? Um, I it, still it, think he has like 10 kids or something as well. Yeah, is, he's got, uh, and he does spend time with them to some degree. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he, he is, he, he watches no TV. Yeah. <laughs> he has no time to watch TV. Um, but he has like these schedules that he does, and he does schedule time with the kids. But he does, you know, have it set up to where he has certain businesses he'll work on. But you're right, the the, the sickness of Twitter, we'll call it, uh, is going to take a lot more time, which he has to give away time on something else to do more in Twitter. And, and I did notice that uh, Tesla did reach a high uh, in the past year, uh, $414, almost down 50% from there at 204 I think it was even higher than that uh, a little bit before that time frame. I think it was... a. Uh, confusing because they split so many times. Yeah, yeah. But I think split adjust. I think it was, because I, I looked at it before, I thought it was either 430 or 440 because uh, I know it's getting close to being down uh, 50% from their all-time high. Are you looking at it right now? Let's see if you're going to. Yeah, it's down 50% because that would be 408. So it, it is down oh, yeah. more than 50% more right now. More than 50%, now. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it just shows year-to-date return, a negative 418 uh, their market cap now down to 642 billion. I think they're still bigger than the car companies, but uh, it, and again, it, it is a a great car. But we've talked about this for a long time that it's just way overpriced and nothing stays in that lofty level uh, forever. There, something will will hit and come down. So I, um, you know, I just want to look at the earnings going forward. I was going to say it's kind of funny we're reversing roles here a little bit, but I was looking at a balance sheet. It is funny for years. I say funny, but for years we thought they were at risk of going bankrupt, and they were. They but were. their balance yeah. sheet is very, very clean now. The current ratio is 1.4, quick ratio is 1.1, 1. 1, so they have plenty of liquidity. Debt to equity is just 0.2. So they've really done a great job fixing that balance sheet. And I think part of it was they were able to capitalize on how crazy their stock price was. Yeah. I mean, it, any it other company... You issue stock, the stock price goes down. With them, they would issue stock, stock price goes up. <laughs> That's very and funny. they were able to generate capital that way. And also, too, they did a lot of convertible bonds, which oh, they were right. able to offer at lower interest rates. Right. So, I mean, they were able to, I don't want to say take advantage of shareholders, but they were able to take advantage of the craziness in the stock price yep. and that's the reason they they were able to avoid i think bankruptcy at the end of the day yeah because normally when a company you're right would issue more stock it would fall they wouldn't get what they wanted and so forth 
but the the followers of Twitter were so strong. Like, oh yes, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry, Tesla uh, were so strong that oh yeah, yeah, and it would actually bid the price up. So and they were smart not to just kind of take it, but to like okay, let's pay down debt, let's do these things. So uh, I, I did look at their earnings going forward uh, for 2022, looking for earnings of four dollars and ten cents. Uh, 2023, 587. So they're making more money, but that still gives you uh, a P ratio for PE of what? Uh, still 40, I think. In my About head. 35. 35, yeah. So 35, 40 in that range. Yeah, much, much, much better than what it was like at 70, 80, 100 plus. Uh, but still not the norm. The norm for the industry historically is around 14 to 17 times in a PE ratio. So they're still well above that. So well, that's could for be. the market. The auto manufacturing industry, oh, which you're is right. what they do, right, is <laughs> more like yeah. seven to eight. Seven to eight is, it, it, <laughs> and, then, it is. and that's just kind of based off of understanding of, uh, you know, a couple of the auto manufacturers we've held. But um, yeah, it's not the the market average, unfortunately. But yeah, Tesla's trading well above the market average and the industry average, which has always been the issue I have with. Oh, it's not a, it's not a, um, you know, car company. Well, then what is General Motors? General Motors now has a right. defense unit. They have a, you know, a um, bright drop, which is a yep. business unit. They have, they're also building an energy unit like Tesla. Yeah. So I'd say they're kind of competing on, on similar playing fields, uh, especially setting themselves up for the next few years. But, you know, one's trading at six times earnings and one's trading at 35 times right. earnings. And one thing I just noticed in this, I've never seen this, well, maybe I have, this type of drop off in earnings. 90 days ago, they were estimated fifteen dollars and eighty-nine cents in December 2023. This announced 5.87. That's a 63 percent drop uh, in your estimated earnings going forward. I mean, that's huge. I, you, you just don't see that. Normally, a stock would. Well, again, they they are down from the what the four four fourteen or whatever it was. So uh, the question is, will it fall more? I I think it could. Yeah. Um, EV markets having problems, we said, and if Twitter does go through, or he pays that, I I don't you know. He pays that billion dollars. I don't think it's really going to hurt him or Tesla. That may be the better thing to do is just pay that billion dollars and, and walk away from this because, yeah. and I would love to see him turn around Twitter, but I think it would sacrifice too much on the other other side. Yeah. I think it could be very problematic. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, Robert, I hope that's what you were kind of looking for. Um, did you get a target sell price on what Twitter would actually, or a, a Tesla would actually be at 587? No, I just had the, uh, the forward PE, but. Let me do yeah, that real quick. Probably going to be about, uh, what, 75 to 80 is my guess. 97. 97. Okay. Yep. So uh, so that means it could be cut in half again <laughs> before it became a sell yeah. <laughs> on a reasonable side. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, I mean, that, that's where you look at things. And, and I will say here, I, I do see the average sell price, and this is interesting as well for the 25 analysts, uh, they say 308, but I, I, I just don't see that happening. Uh, with Tesla, yeah, it's, so. just, it's just still expensive. I mean, it's by no means a value company. I, the growth is decelerating, which people don't like to see. So it, it's it could be a problem. You know, I was thinking too when you talk about Tesla buying or selling their stock went up in price. Wasn't one of the meme stocks? Was it AMC did that, or was it GameStop? They did that, and now it's been cut way down in price. Yeah, I think AMC was one, and and they offered like it was called like the Ape shares as well. Oh, so yeah. it's somewhat deceptive in terms of the stock price on AMC of what your your true investment is because you did get a new share class. Right. But even with that Ape spinoff, you're still down dramatically. Yeah, we've talked about the mean stocks. They kind of, kind of went to the, the 
the, the, the junkyard, I'll call it that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they haven't done well. I'm not with GameStop in a long time. I think AMC, I think I saw them down. I, I was going to do a post on it. I don't think I got time to do it. But I think they're down like 70, 80% from, from their high. And, and I feel bad because all these people got stuck into it. And here we are. Here we are again. They lost. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for the list of smart investing show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. Let's discuss in more detail your investment needs. Have other investment questions? Feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 546 4306. That's 858 546 4306. And please visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. To think that I did all that.